God, we might be fooled in thinking that that we can make it to your throne through our good works or our good looks or our silver tongue or whatever it may be, our money. But God, may this truth just be just be real in our hearts. That without Christ and without his blood shed for us, that uh, we're hopeless and lost. And destined to death and separation from you. God, so we thank you. In every any every way we know how. Um, yet it's still feeble that uh, we just thank you for that, for that perfect lamb. And we thank you that we can come to you as our Father and worship you and bring our, just our problems, our, our petty issues, and that you listen, you hear them, and you, and you console us with your spirit. And I just thank you for that. God, I just pray that you bless this time and soften our hearts. And get rid of the distractions. God, I pray that you bless the kids' time. May that be a, a sweet time of uh, mentorship and learning and communing in a, in a way that uh, we as adults often forget to do. Just bless Michael and uh, his words. We thank you for him. We ask your protection over him and his family. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. And at this time, our uh, elementary and preschool can be dismissed to their classes. And while they are doing that, you can turn to Genesis chapter 25. We will be in verse, beginning in verse 19. And there is an outline in the bulletin for you to follow along. And if you need one, you can raise your hand and Bo would be happy to pass one out to you this morning. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That really needs to be the foundation of what we talk about this morning, because nothing that we talk about this morning um, is possible for us in this day and age without that. Um, I appreciate uh, Pav and what he does and the lead-in that he uh, gave for us this morning. A good reminder that we, whether we sit in fellowship, um, whether we are listening to God's Word, whether we are um, speaking with a neighbor or a friend, all that we do um, to try to bring glory to God uh, is only possible uh, by the blood of Christ, our Savior. And so, while we may not talk about that specifically this morning, uh, my hope is that that will be a kind of an undergirding of, of what we do talk about this morning. We have been uh, studying American history in our household this semester, 
the girls have, and I've been actually reading a book on the American Revolution. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote a poem and made famous the phrase, the shot heard round the world, uh, referring to the first shots fired in the Revolutionary War in 1775 in Lexington between the colonists and the British. Uh, that phrase, though, has, as often phrases do, kind of gets hijacked and is kind of become a proverbial saying for anything that has a, a worldwide impact or a lasting impact. Um, it is often used, in fact, for uh, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand in, in Germany that started World War I. It's also used um, in the sports world. They have co-opted that, uh, boxing and golf and basketball and baseball. Uh, maybe the first one was when uh, the Giants' Thompson hit the home run in 51 that secured the pennant for the Giants. We use that phrase to refer to something that has a, has a lasting impact. And so I'm going to steal that phrase a little bit and tweak it. I think that's okay. It's entered into the mainstream. Um, this morning we're going to talk about the struggle heard around the world. Again, we continue in our series on the life of Jacob. Uh, and throughout uh, these nine or ten chapters in Genesis, uh, people wrestle. They struggle. Uh, they fight um, with one another, but ultimately with God. Um, and this morning we're going to look specifically in Genesis 25 and we're going to look at a man and God struggling. We're going to look at a woman struggling with her children and then we're going to see those two children struggling with one another. And ultimately my hope is, is that will lead us to want to struggle with God ourselves, to want to wrestle with Him in prayer specifically. This morning as we read, I want you to look for a few things. Number one, um, God's people pray according to God's will. Number two, when God, God's people struggle, they seek Him, not something else or some, some other source of satisfaction or wisdom. And then finally, God's people persevere in prayer. And in the middle of that, we're going to see this struggle that was heard around the world. So would you follow along as I read, beginning in Genesis 25, verse 19. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand, holding on to Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when he gave birth to them. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this morning. 
I thank you for these people. And thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it to strengthen and encourage us, to challenge us, that we might be more like you in, in each and every way. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. God's people pray according to God's will. God's people pray according to God's will. Um, it's no coincidence, I don't think, that Isaac goes through the exact same struggle that Abraham went through. He has a barren wife. Now, if we remember, Abraham and, and Sarah decided to deal with that issue on their own. They knew God's promises. Abraham, you're going to have a son. Lots of them, in fact. And they're going to inherit this land. But they knew Sarah was beyond childbearing, hadn't had any kids, so they took matters into their own hands. Gave Abraham, Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, and said, we'll have a kid through her. That's how God's going to fulfill all this. Well, they found out that quite wasn't the way it worked. Uh, taking matters into their own hands was a mistake. And now Isaac shows up on the scene, and he faces the exact same situation his father faced. I don't think that's uncommon for us as believers to be put in situations that that others have been placed in before. It happens to all of us. God wants each of us to deal with those situations that we have, as a human race, failed in over and over and over again. Would Isaac turn out differently? You see, he knew the same promises Abraham knew. He knew that God had promised Abraham multiple descendants. He also had heard the stories. He's the promised son. It's through him that all these descendants will come. And he's got a barren wife. So what should he do? Well, let's see. Dad uh, took someone else. Maybe I should try that. But he doesn't. Because he also knew something else. Remember from last week, when the servant came back, it said he told Isaac all that had happened. You see, Isaac had heard the stories of how the servant had found Rebekah, the miraculous way that God had provided her for the servant, how the servant had been able to bring her back from the family who kind of became wishy-washy and thought, well, maybe we ought to keep her around a little longer. So Isaac knows this is the girl. She's the one. She's the one God provided. So what does he do? He prays. He simply prays, God, I know it's your will that we have kids because you promised my father. And I know she's the one, so therefore, God, you got to do something because we're stuck. We don't have any kids, and yet your promise is that we are going to have kids. So, God, we, we trust in you. And as we go through this story, you're going to see this theme played out over and over again. People up against God's promises and up against a struggle. And the question is, what are they going to do? Are they going to wrestle with God in prayer or are they going to take matters into their own hands? I'll figure out another way because it doesn't seem that God is, is interested right now in what's going on. Maybe God has fallen asleep. Maybe he's lost track of what's going on. But verse 21 says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. 
how does that fit in? As, as you and I, believers who, who trust God, who, who believe that He is indeed sovereign over the universe, what role does prayer play for us? I mean, God promised, right? I mean, do I really need to pray? I mean, won't Rebecca eventually have kids? God did promise, right? How do, we, how do we mesh God's sovereignty with our responsibility? What we're going to see today and, and over the next several weeks is, number one, God is a faithful covenant partner. He's a faithful parent to this fledgling nation. But He's not an enabling parent that's always going to come and rescue His people out of their mess and clean them all up and say, let's pretend that didn't happen. It's interesting. As people make choices, how they deal with God and each other, He lets them suffer the consequences of their sin. And yet in His goodness, in His majesty, in His sovereignty, He still weaves the events of life together to perform or to accomplish what He has promised. That should be encouraging for us in that we really can't mess up what God ultimately has planned. But it should also be challenging for us because we can get ourselves into a whole lot of hurt and despair and confusion and pain when we choose to solve our problems differently than God would have us solve them. So Isaac prayed. What's interesting is sometimes we, we do the right thing. We come before a holy and awesome God and we pray. And sometimes God answers those prayers like He does here. Into verse 21, And Rebekah his wife conceived. But sometimes when we are pursuing God and we're seeking Him, Sometimes the issue is not resolved. Sometimes we, we, we seek God with all of our heart. We question Him. We ask Him what's going on, and things don't get any better. Like with Rebecca. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Um, when we face struggles, God's people seek Him. When we face struggles, God's people should always seek Him. So, answered prayer, this is wonderful, this is great. Except what's going on inside of them, inside of her, is these two boys are duking it out. Literally, it reads, they were crushing one another within her. And she was in pain. And she says, If it is so, why then am I this way? Maybe a, a rough paraphrase of that would be, God, if this is the answer to prayer, then why bother? If this is what faithfulness looks like, I'm not sure I want to be a part of that. If, if walking with God day in and day out, and still there are these struggles, this heartache, this frustration, this pain, 
And for us, that may be physical, that may be emotional, that may be spiritual. There's probably not a single person sitting in this room who either personally is experiencing pain physically, emotionally, or spiritually, or knows someone very close to you that is. And we say, God, if, if, if you're so good, if, if you're the one who answers our prayers, if, if you're the one who is going to work everything out, why is it like this? And if it's going to be like this, God, I don't know if I want to play that game anymore, to be quite honest. It hurts. It hurts. What do we do when it's like that? Well, Rebecca, in, in the midst of that pain, she sought God. And what may be more frustrating is he didn't solve her problem. Instead, he made it worse. Yeah, Rebecca, there is struggle going on inside of you. And it's not going to end when your pregnancy ends. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When I read things like that, someone's going to serve someone else. That means someone's going to have to submit. And we usually don't like to do that. And especially here, the older serving the younger. Uh, something's not right about that, God. That, I bet that's going to cause trouble. And it did between Jacob and Esau, between Esau's descendants, the Edomites, and Jacob's descendants, the Israelites, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It was the struggle heard around the world, ultimately even up to the time of Christ. King Herod, the one who sought to destroy him and instead destroyed all of the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and younger, he was a descendant of Esau. That struggle continued for years and years and years. Rebecca, I'm not going to solve this problem. It's not going to go away. And we throw up our hands and go, but God, I'm seeking you. I'm not, I'm not looking for another way out. I'm, I'm earnestly looking for help here. And God says, but this is the way it's going to be. And the question for you and I, I think, is even if we know it's not going to turn out the way we want, will we continue to be faithful? Will we continue to seek God? Will we continue to wrestle with Him, wrestle with Him through the difficulties of life? Or we just throw up our hands and go, you know, it's not worth it. If this is the way it's going to be, no thanks. But God calls us to seek Him in the midst of our struggles. Can I challenge you that, that you should make that a habit in your everyday life? With even the little things, the little frustrations, the little things that nag you, that annoy you, that bother you, would you get in the habit of when those things come into your life of seeking Him? The small things, the annoying sibling, the drip of the faucet, the, the toothpaste tube that's not the, where it should be, 
whatever those things are, between husband and wife, between parent and child, between sibling, between you and a neighbor, the little things, would you seek God? Would you begin getting in the habit of doing that? Because if we don't do that in the little things, well, when life comes and smacks us, we're not going to. I don't think. We might, if, if the right people are around us and encouraging us, we might. But, but isn't it easier if you're in the habit of doing something? Isn't it easier to perform that when pressure is on? Uh, Jeff and Tim and I have been coaching soccer. And we've seen as we practice the same thing over and over and over again, <laughs> in practice where there's not a lot of pressure, that slowly they've begun to do some of those things in games when there is pressure. Slowly, just it kind of, I think, becomes automatic. I'm not sure they're thinking about it, necessarily. They do those things. Isn't that right? Practice, when there's not pressure, helps us to perform when there is. So, today, if you're like me, something's going to bother you today. Something's going to get in the way of, of your agenda. Would you seek God? Would you just say, would you just stop and say, God, this is frustrating. What's my response? Probably if you're like me, that frustration came from selfishness and, and maybe God will just speak to your heart. You're just being selfish. Get over it. Right? But will you get in the habit of seeking him when frustrations come? Well, they were born, these two boys. Um, and, and curiously enough, uh, I don't know that some of you may do this. We don't do this in this culture as often as they used to. Uh, you get a name when you're born, and, and often it's, it's based on what's going on. Uh, these are interesting. Esau is, sounds a whole lot like the Hebrew word for hairy. The people he were, that were descended from him, the Edomites, uh, the word Edom is, sounds a whole lot like the Hebrew word for red. And even the place where they settled uh, doesn't sound like it in English very much, but in Hebrew it is. Uh, Seir, there's a lot of similarities between that and, and Esau. He, his place, his people, and him, a description of, of his birth. But Jacob is an interesting name. Uh, it is; it means one who grabs heel, one who follows someone to trip them up, to deceive them. He comes out grabbing hold of his older brother's heel. <laughs> You're not getting away from me, buddy. And they name him that. What's interesting about that name, though, is... In, in several other languages around that place in that time, uh, there was a name very similar to that, a little bit longer, uh, that meant God protects. And so in one sense, I think the parents named him based on the events of birth. <laughs> this guy, better watch out for him. He's going to sneak up behind you and grab your heel and, and trip you up. But ultimately, it's a shortened form of really what transpired throughout his life, regardless of who he was as a deceiver. God protected him. Why? Because of Jacob? No. Because God made a promise to Abraham. 
And that promise was, your descendants will inherit this land and you will be a blessing to all the nations. And Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob. And Jacob would become the father of 12 sons that would eventually lead to a nation which would give birth to our Savior. In the midst of us making choices, naming a child, the one who's going to trip somebody up, would you like to go through life with, with that on your back? I'm a deceiver. And he lived that out. But also, in the midst of that, God will protect me. There's one final just little note at the end of verse 26. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. Kind of seems just thrown in. We get ages a lot. Um, But it's there for a reason. Because if you go back up to verse 20, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. And he was 60 when the twins were born. Now, it wouldn't have taken them long to realize that Rebekah wasn't having kids. That wouldn't have been a long process. And when they figured out that she wasn't having kids, Jacob, I mean, Isaac prayed. For how long? 15 years, 18 years, prayed. See, God's people, when they know God's will, will persevere in prayer. Can you imagine? I know this is your will, God, so for the next 15, 18 years, I'm just going to pray and wait and pray and wait and pray and wait and pray and wait. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to pray and wait and pray and wait? That's a long time without an answer. (laughs) And yet that's what God's people do. We trust God to do what He has said He will do. And so we continue to pray. And notice, Isaac never did what his father did. He never got fed up and said, okay, five years is enough, Rebecca. We've got to try something else. Ten years is enough, Rebecca. We've got to try something else. Okay, I've had enough. It's been 15 years. God obviously has gone on vacation. Time for plan B. There's not one. Just pray and wait. And pray and wait. Can you and I do that? God's people persevere in prayer. Okay, that's all well and good, but put some meat on the bones for just a moment. Again, remind you as we sang, as Pop helped us lay a foundation, none of this is possible without the blood of Christ. We don't have access into the throne room of heaven unless the blood of Christ has covered your sins. But because they have, the writer of Hebrews says, we can come before the throne of grace with confidence. So what does that look like? 
how do I pray according to God's will? How do I know what God's will is? Um, well, that's difficult. Individual circumstances in your life, I don't know. Some of you are wrestling with big decisions. What do we do about this or this? In those cases, I can't give you an answer, but, but if you want to pray according to God's will, um, there's lots in here you can pray about. If you're ever curious, how do I pray for someone besides just the prayer and it comes out of my lips all the time because it's a habit, is God be with them. Well, He is with them, right? I mean, if they're a believer, God is with them, so I'm praying for something that's already there. But specifically, what can I pray for someone? Well, let me encourage you to open the New Testament and read. For example, go with me to Philippians. If you'll turn over. I'll just give you a, a, a quick, specific example. Then I want to give you a, a general example. Maybe I should go the other way around. Philippians chapter 4. Um, it's great to just, if you're curious, how do I pray for someone, just to open up the New Testament and read some things that are God's will. For instance, in verse 8 of chapter 4 of Philippians, he says, Finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. If you're ever stuck on how to pray for someone, let me encourage you to, to go to this verse because how many of you never struggle with what comes into your head and, and what you think about? I do. I would love for you to pray that throughout the day that I would think about those things that would honor God instead of thinking about things that don't honor God. Are you ever curious how to pray for someone? How do, I, how do I pray for my kids? How do I pray for my wife? How do I pray for my spouse? How do I pray for my friends? You could pray that, that God's Spirit would have control of their mind. They would exercise control of what comes into their mind and, and what they dwell on. What a remarkable thing to pray according to God's will. That they would be wise in what thoughts come in and, and what they hold on to. Could you do that? as you pray for your friends? You know, and maybe as you're reading through the Scriptures, uh, you'll come across something, and maybe for that week, that's what you pray for your friends. Uh, this past week, I've been reading in the Prophets. And in Amos, he talks about um, that he's issuing judgment and says, uh, you think there's going to be a famine. What there's going to be a famine for is hearing the word of the Lord. I often hear that out of context. Uh, that's a judgment. It's going to come up to a point where you're going to wish that I was around and there's going to be a famine for my word. The prophets are going to be quiet. I'm not going to speak to you. I'm fed up with you. There's going to be a famine for my word and you're going to wish I ha wish you had it, God says to the people. And so this week, as I've prayed for each of you, my prayer has been that we would never get to the point where we don't hunger and thirst after God's word. Where we have so ignored God that we... Just let it sit on the shelf. That, that a famine for God's Word has come into our life. I think that's God's will for us, that we would hunger and thirst after Him and, and therefore hunger and thirst after His Word. And so I read that earlier in the week, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday, and that's been my prayer for you this week. That you would hunger and thirst after God's Word. And that's, you can do that. 
And there's an endless supply of prayer requests for your brothers and sisters in Christ in this book. You can even, it's not even against the rules, you could even go and look through some of Paul's letters. He prays in some of his letters. Just repeat those if you're really stuck. Pray according to God's will. The second practical thing that we can do is get someone to keep you accountable in prayer, whether that's someone that you're actually praying with or someone who will just ask you on a regular basis, so how are things going as you are talking to God? We need each other. Because sometimes you won't feel like praying and that person will grab you by the hand and say, come on, we need to pray. And sometimes they won't feel like praying and so you can grab them by the hand and say, come on, we need to pray. We help each other. We strengthen each other. We can pick each other up when we're down. Do you have someone like that in your life who encourages you and challenges you to pray on a regular basis or who prays with you? One last big kind of general thing. Here's my tendency. Maybe it's yours. I hope it's not, but I'm going to show you mine. I often want to pray, God, fix this situation. That's often my prayer. Um, God, fix this situation. But as I read through, especially the New Testament, there's admonition after admonition after admonition to persevere through trials and struggles. I don't, I don't hear Paul saying a whole lot, uh, take away the struggles. What he asked people to do is pray that he'd be faithful in the midst of the struggles. And so I, I struggle with that because I tend to want to pray for comfort. And I think the message that God would have for us is that we instead seek contentment. So as we pray for one another, something else that, that I'm convinced is God's will is that we wouldn't be so much interested in comfort as we are contentment. God, would you strengthen through your spirit my brother, my sister, who is struggling and allow them to rest in you? That doesn't mean you can't ask God to intervene and take away the struggle. But my encouragement, my challenge to you is that you wouldn't just stop there and say, God, would you, would you heal them, deliver them, save them, help them? God, in the midst of that, would you encourage them through your spirit to remain faithful? Would you remind them of Isaac who prayed for 15, 18 years, maybe, and remained faithful? Would you remind them of, of their Savior who in the midst of the disciples scattering in the garden in the midst of the, the impending pain of not only the physical pain of the cross, but the spiritual pain of, of taking on your sins and my sin. Would you remind them of that, God, and allow them to be faithful? Allow them to persevere? Because you know, when the world sees that, when the world sees you and I persevering through pain, it's a really bright light. And they scratch their head and they go, how do you do that? It gives us an opportunity, a platform then to share God's goodness. 
God's people pray according to God's will. We seek Him in the midst of our struggles and we persevere. Will you be a people of prayer? Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the testimony of faithful people like Isaac. Father, we do ask that you would strengthen us through your spirit. Allow us to be um, the people that you've called us to be. The people that look to you. Not to the world, not to our own strength, not to our own abilities, not to uh, the latest advice, but look to you in the midst of our struggles. Trust you. You are good. Uh, Remind us again and again of your faithfulness. Because we need it. We are fickle. We forget easily what you have done for us. So I ask through your spirit that you would strengthen and challenge us. That this week as we go into this world that we would persevere. And that we would delight in you. And God give us opportunity um, to be a light for you. Among those who don't know you. We look forward to the week ahead and we thank you for your many blessings. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.